This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. And good evening, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk. Sports Talk Media Network on a fantastic Wednesday evening in advance of, of course, that means on a Wednesday. Every other Wednesday, we've got SC Wild coming up a little bit later on in the program. Chris Bergen here in Florence. Pat Daniel taking care of business back home in Columbia. Phil Kornblut will join us here in just a couple of moments. That means we've got time for you. If you'd like to uh, dial us up and be on the uh, program here tonight, love to hear what you've got on your mind. Got a busy Wednesday show as per normal. We will catch up with the coaches. Chalk Talk coming up just after 6.30 tonight. We will get both uh, Chuck Reedy and Ellis Johnson's thoughts on what is going on with the Gamecocks and uh, Tigers at this point. Uh, Chuck Reedy in particular, want to get his take on what's going wrong with the uh, Gamecock offense. Can they actually fix it between now and the end of the season, or is it going to take an offseason to get that uh, fixed? We will chat with him coming up uh, just after 6.30. Also, uh, the Gamecock defense, as Phil pointed out last night, really not immune to what happened on Saturday. They are also, they've got their own share of responsibility, so we will catch up with the coaches coming up just after 6.30. Mike Morgan, Morgan on the move just after 7 o'clock this evening. So we certainly want to uh, visit with him about the start of the college basketball season. We'll also talk with him about the college football season as well. Jamie Chadwell met with the media a bit earlier today, a difficult press conference to say the least, as uh, Virginia announced this morning that its game with Coastal Carolina would not be played. It has been canceled because of the uh, shooting over the weekend. Three football players had their lives taken from them, and uh, Jamie Chadwell and the uh, staff at Coastal said, you know, we totally get that. We're 100% behind UVA not playing the game, so uh, we'll let you hear maybe a little bit of him and what he had to say today. Plus, the Gamecock coordinators met with the media today. Phil was over there in Columbia to uh, chat with uh, both Marcus Satterfield and Clayton White. What they had to say, we'll get into all of that here on the uh, program this evening. Again, 888-898-2525. Again, 888-898-2525. If you'd like to join us here this evening as we come to you live from the Dave and Buster studio where you can eat, drink, play, and catch all of the big games all season long at Dave and Buster's in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Phil, how are you this evening? My Man, friend? doing great. Thanks for jumping in. People Absolutely. in this town need to learn how to drive. I mean, you know, when a light is green, that means go. And when it means yellow, it means go quicker. And when it means <laughs> and when it's red, it means still go. But I mean, go with caution. That's kind of no, how no, I, no, 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 no. Well, I mean, like no. if you people need to understand, it's okay to pull out into the intersection when now, the light is green sure. and you want to turn across traffic. It's okay, pull out, and then when there's a break, you can go. And then when it's yellow, you can still go. And then if it turns red and you're in the intersection, you can still go. But no, not in this town. It's let's back up fifty yards and sit and 
talk to Martha and ask Martha how her day was. And anyway, good to be Martha's here. Martha's upset about her lack of, you know, with the changes in Medicare. Probably so. Have you seen the commercial? Haven't you seen the commercial? That Martha is upset about the. She needs to call and make sure that Medicare is is she's got the best, for her next year. The best plan for her, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, also, let's don't forget we've got uh, we got basketball. We got uh, the tournaments beginning tomorrow in Myrtle Beach and in Charleston. And I'll be in Myrtle Beach. Smitty will be at Charleston. Gamecocks and Furman in College of Charleston, all playing in Charleston and. We don't have anybody of local interest in the uh, Myrtle Beach event, except Frank. Frank is back in the state. Frank Martin. Get to watch Frank stomp and storm and and yell. I imagine he still stomps and storms and yells. His team is one and one. They open up with a win over Central Connecticut State, and then they lost to Towson. So, uh, you know, one and one for the uh, Minutemen of UMass. Looking forward to being there for that. We'll be broadcasting from there tomorrow night and we've got the uh, south carolina women playing clemson's women is that tonight tomorrow night that's tomorrow night okay and then the usc women go west and they play stanford a matchup of one two by the way duke lost last night of those who uh, didn't didn't happen to catch that duke lost danny yes <laughs> lost l-o-s-t had a lead and and lost get used to it get used to it and uh, how about uh, Kentucky losing to Michigan State last night in that uh, in that uh, in that champions event? Yeah, I was Not over been a good USC. week for the University of Kentucky. Has it in terms of athletics? On Saturday, they lose to Vanderbilt, the unthinkable Vandy snapping what a twenty six game SEC losing streak to them, and then they turn around and, and Kentucky fans assume, mm-hmm. all right, that's fine, we can deal with football. They go away. Uh, we're going to win starting basketball season, and they get beat by Michigan State. And I'm not sure that's a game that they should lose. If you're going to be – this is not a Michigan State team that I don't think is pre, you know, one of the top programs in the country. And of course, they've got one of the greatest tournament coaches in the history of the program – in the history of college basketball in Tom Izzo. But I think that was somewhat of a surprise that UK went down last night. Yeah. Um, I mean, Michigan State's always good. I mean, they, they, they they're, are. they're a National League program, and year to year they got great players. But Kentucky should never lose. Duke should never lose. North Carolina should never lose. They've got the best players in the country. Kansas should never lose. Why Why do they ever lose a game? they got the best players in the country. They should never lose. It's it's the coach's fault when I they lose. I think Oscar Shibway made well. some money. And as if he needed to, I think Oscar Shibway made a little bit more money last night, 22 and 18 in a game that went to double overtime. So we can cut Kentucky a little bit of slack. They mm. lost in double overtime, but nonetheless, yeah, yeah. it's somewhat of a surprise to see an them fall L this early in the season. Is an L. All right. So you touched on tonight. We've got a very busy show. Uh, Chuck and Ellis coming up. Chalk talk. They'll break it down. They'll chop it up for us. Mike Morgan, who was uh, on the call last night of Alabama and South Alabama basketball, and they played that in Mobile. Might have been the first Ooh. time Alabama's ever played down there. They don't go down there very often, if at all. I think Auburn actually opened their brand-new facility uh, down there, and, and some of that may have actually been a tie to uh, Cliff Ellis and his days with uh, both South Alabama and Auburn. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I think you may be right. That may be the first time that the University of Alabama has actually played there because they've got a really, really nice facility. It's, mm-hmm. gosh, six, seven, eight thousand. Yeah, you've been there many times. Mm-hmm. And we've got um, 
We've got uh, S.E. Wild tonight. Major Billy Downer has lined up a great show. It's waterfowl season in South Carolina. Major Downer will be with us, and he's going to have a specialist, an expert, on the waterfowl season in South Carolina with us tonight. That's coming up at 7.35, so we hope you'll make plans to be with us for that as well. Should be a, a great show. We're going to have waterfowl biologist Molly Neese uh, joining us tonight. So great lineup and recruiting and your phone calls, 888-898-2525, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number here on Sports Talk. And, of course, let me tell you that with the lottery, since 2002, more than $160 million in proceeds, they've been used to fund South Carolina Hope Scholarships for the state's college-bound students. You can learn more about the lottery's impact at seeducationlottery.com slash education wins. Playing for fun is a win for education. And we come to you from the Dave and Buster Studios here in Columbia. Eat, drink, play, catch the big games all season long. Dave and Buster's in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. And I'm just seeing a story here in the New York Post. You mentioned that Virginia canceled the game with the Coastal Carolina. That story is still on everybody's mind. And it says here, the Virginia killing suspect, Christopher Darnell Jones, shot victim while he slept. According to prosecutors, the University of Virginia student who allegedly killed three football players and gunned down two other classmates after a field trip on Sunday shot one of the victims while he was sleeping in a targeted massacre. Christopher Darnell Jones, 22, did not enter a plea to the three counts of second-degree murder, two counts of malicious shooting with the intent to maim, disfigure, disable, or kill, five counts of using a handgun in the commission of a felony, explaining to the court he was still looking for legal representation. Witnesses said that Jones appeared to target his victims in the Sunday slaughter and was not randomly shooting, according to prosecutors. One bystander identified him as Chris to authorities, while another indicated Jones was the killer when shown the alleged gunman's photo. James Hingley, the Commonwealth's attorney, said one of the slain men, David, Devin Chandler, was shot as he napped. He and another victim, Deshaun Perry, were pronounced dead on the bus, while the third victim, Lavelle Davis Jr., who is the young man from South Carolina, died mm-hmm. at the hospital. Fellow students saw... Chris point the gun at Devin Chandler and saw him shoot him while he slept and slumped to the floor, Hingley said. The stone-faced mass murder suspect who appeared in court virtually from jail wearing a black and white jumpsuit over a white undershirt told the court he wanted his own lawyer, not a court-appointed public defender. He was ordered held without bail until he could secure legal representation and enter a plea. Jones told the court he worked eight hours a week at the Charlottesville Boys and Girls Club, earning $360 every other week. He's a former football player. He had just returned from seeing a play with his victims on a school field trip to Washington when he opened fire on the bus that just pulled into Virginia's Charlottesville campus. Michael Hollins, a sophomore on the team, was injured, officials said. Jones had been convicted of a concealed weapons offense last year and also received a suspended sentence for property damage and reckless driving in his hometown of Petersburg, Virginia. So that is the latest to come out of that story. It's just incredible, just totally 
incredible. By the way, Jones's father, Christopher Darnell Jones Sr., told NBC 12 Monday night, his son told him, quote, some people was picking on him and, quote, he didn't know how to handle it, end quote. Wow. So there you go. Oh, boy. Sorry to there's hear about actually, all that. Well, there's actually a hero on that bus, Ryan Lynch, who was evidently on the bus. She's a, a neuroscience major. She actually knew Christopher Jones and went back to talk with him and sat back down and then realized once the gunshot started that she went over and evidently she and another student were giving CPR to one of the uh, football players who were shot and ultimately died Mm -hmm. while the gunshots were still ringing out and people telling them we need to get off the bus. It's remarkable what some folks will do in the face of danger and and tragedy and that kind of thing. I, I wish... You know, I, we all like to think we'd react like that, but I'm not sure we. I wouldn't. Mm. I, I think I'd probably run uh, for cover as well. But it's just remarkable some of the uh, stories we hear of heroes in these type of in environments. Yeah, absolutely. And we all think about that. What would we do? Mm-hmm. What would we do? And you wouldn't know. If you, you really, no. You you wouldn't even think. You you would react, and um, who knows? Who knows what you would do? Hopefully, do the right thing, whatever that case may be. All right, we're going to hit the break here on Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll take some phone calls. 888 898 I was over at USC today, heard the coordinators talk, Satterfield and uh, White in particular. Boy, they had a lot of splaining to do, a lot of splaining to do about what <laughs> happened. Uh, rock bottom is how Marcus Satterfield described where his offense was at Florida, hitting rock bottom. Back in a moment. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. I love sports, and I've helped people for over 30 years. Contact me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com when the insurance company won't pay your claim or you have complicated issues. Some other business causes your business to lose money? Jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. When you lose a relative and find out you got cut out of a will or don't get what was promised. When you have serious injury, like from a wreck or mishap or on the job. Jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. Show your team pride wherever you go with Founders Federal Credit Union's Collegiate Debit Cards. Get your University of South Carolina and Clemson University debit cards at any Founders office or by calling 1-800-845-1614. Plus, our debit cards are digital wallet ready, so you can pay however you please. Not a member? Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Hope, life, and the Great Palmetto. What do these things have in common? Scholarship dollars. The SC Hope, the Life, and the Palmetto Fellow Scholarships are funded by the lottery players of this great state. And after 20 years, you've invested over $7 billion in education. $7 billion. Impressive. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, we all win. Hey, this is Major Billy Downer with DNR, and coming up tonight at 7.30, another edition of SC Wild on the Sports Talk Radio Network. When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games. Sit from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's, where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. 
South Carolina's taste buds have spoken, and they're asking for beef. There are more than 7,800 farms raising cattle from pasture to plate in the Palmetto State. So whether it's steaks on the grill before the big game, sirloin medallions plated for date night, or burgers with a family, make sure beef is a part of your playbook this football season. Smoke, grilled, and slow-roasted. Find the best way to enjoy your beef at seacattle.org. Beef, it's what's for dinner in South Carolina. Funded by the South Carolina Beef Council, part of the Beef Checkoff Program. You were always more than my mom. You were my role model, my best friend, and biggest supporter. You filled my days with unconditional love. And you also prepared for the day when you couldn't be here. Because of the woman you were back then, I'm able to be the woman I am now. Your planning made this moment possible. Set your family up for life. Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance. Your friends for life. Life insurance isn't for you. It's for those you love the most. For a complete insurance review, call Buddy Bridges in Lawrence County at 864-923-2174. Serving Lawrence, Clinton, and the shores of Lake Greenwood. Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company, Jackson, Mississippi. Not licensed to do business in all 50 states. We're with Major Billy Downer of DNR. Of course, South Carolina is great for the hunters, Major. What do the hunters need to remember before they get out in the fields? It seems like every other show we're talking about hunting safety of some sort. One thing we want hunters in this state to remember is always identify your target and what lies beyond it. Make sure before you pull that trigger that you know what you're looking at. Whether it's a turkey during turkey season or a deer during deer season, you know your identifying features of your game. You know what's beyond that target in case you miss. Learn more about the great outdoors in South Carolina with Major Billy Downer on SC Wild here on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, looking forward to heading east tomorrow, getting down to the beach for a little bit for the basketball and chance to see our good buddy James Smith, Jimmy Smith at James Smith Realty. You don't have to travel to the beach to see Jimmy. You can reach him over the phone, 843-237-4246, 843-237-4246. Let Jimmy find a great place for you to vacation. Maybe you want a winter vacation. Maybe you want something in the spring or maybe something next summer. Never too early to plan. The earlier you plan, the earlier you get in there and find what you're looking for, chances are you'll get exactly what you are looking for in terms of size and price. So give Jimmy Smith a call or talk to one of his outstanding agents, 843-237-4246 online at pauliesvacationrentals.com. So to your phone calls we go, we go down to, uh, no, make that up to Greenville and Ron you're up first tonight here on Sports Talk. How are you? I'm good, Phil. How are you doing? Terrific. No shot. Hello. Hey, Phil. Hey, hey, Rod. Hey, how you doing? Good. Let me let me ask you a question. I'm not going to comment on the on the Jones shooting or anything because uh, I'm basically mad. Uh, what do y'all think the line on the Clemson South Carolina game will be? 
the line on the South Carolina Clemson game, I am going to guesstimate it will be, I'm going to say 24 points. What do you think, Chris? Wow. I was thinking a little bit lower than that, but um, I'm going to go somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 and a half. They're not going to put it at an, at an even number, so you got to throw that hook in there mm. uh, just to help the betters out a little bit. But I'm, I'm thinking it's probably at least two touchdowns plus. Mm-hmm. So you may not be wrong. What do you uh, think, Ron? Your assessment? Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking 19 and a half. Well, you know, we're taking our predictions now. We started this week. You got a oh, uh, prediction in mind for the game? No, I, th- I think Clemson will win. I think South Carolina will play them pretty good ball game though. I believe it'd probably be two touchdowns, maybe uh, 28 to 14, something like that. I think the Gamecocks would love to be in a 28-14 game in the fourth quarter, have a chance there, being only two touchdowns down. Uh, But, you know, look, everything is week by week. And thank you, Ron. We appreciate the phone call. Hope you're doing well. A couple lines are open, 888-898-2525. You know, and Chris, you know this. You travel with a football team. Pat, you know it. You cover them. I do the same. It's a week-by-week thing, and the Gamecocks right now, down after how they played at Florida, they might turn around Saturday night against the uh, number five team in the country and play them a heck of a game and inspire everybody. (laughs) You do or do not? I do. I fully anticipate them playing very well because they have been up and down all season long. So you think think the Gamecocks are going to play Tennessee close? Uh, maybe into the second half. You're going to take the points? You're going to take the, uh, what is it, 21? Is that what the Gamecocks are getting? Boy. See, I wouldn't take the 21 right now. now, But see, I'm influenced influenced by just watching them in person last weekend. Sure, they were lousy last weekend. There's no question. But, I mean, you watch them, and they've done this all season long. They have a horrible game, and then they turn around and play like world beaters, and it gets everybody excited, and they fall on their face again, Mm -hmm. and everybody's upset. And then they play really well, and everybody gets excited about them again, and then they fall flat on their face. And so they're they're on the fall flat on your face scenario coming off the game at Florida. How do they rebound? Now the problem is they may be facing the best team they played all year this coming week. Yeah, would you say? Well, no, Georgia's the best team they played. I mean, this team yeah, beat it, Georgia. I mean, this team yeah. this team beat Tennessee. Georgia beat Tennessee. No doubt. I'd no have doubt. to give the nod to Georgia. I mean, Georgia's defense is a cut above how they did it. <coughs> excuse me. After losing all those players, how they did it, I don't know. But they are a cut above. You hold Tennessee, this offense, to 13 points. That tells me you are a great defense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, of course, um, I mean, nobody has held Tennessee down at all. Outside of that game, the fewest points they've scored, the 34 against Pittsburgh. They had to win the overtime against Pittsburgh. But then they took off 63, 38, 40, 52, 65, 44, and 66 points. I mean, you look at their their standings in the SEC in terms of offense alone, they lead the league in virtually every offensive category. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're a remarkably good offense. And you're right, what Georgia was able to do, and that, that clearly was Georgia's best game of the year. And I think they probably uh, they, they got tired of hearing that, that Tennessee was about ready to take their spot. And they came out and proved, all right, you, you, got, you want to win the national championship, it still goes through Athens. Yeah. And, but, but Tennessee, it, uh, from an offensive standpoint, they've been tremendous. Well, and as Shane Beamer pointed out earlier this week, this is an old football team. I mean, they've got nothing. And they're too deep. They've got nothing but 
seniors and juniors, and a lot of the seniors are redshirt seniors. I mean, there is not – let me just check here. I do not see an underclassman, but anybody younger than a junior, listed anywhere in their top – but there's one sophomore, cornerback Christian Charles, who might start. He's in an or situation. He's a sophomore. Everybody else in their starting – 22, they are seniors, redshirt seniors or juniors, redshirt juniors. They're fifth, sixth, fourth-year guys. So, I mean, they're old, and that that's probably why they're playing so well. They've all just It's all just kind of come together for them. If Hendon Hooker plays really, really well, which I anticipate he will this weekend, and then also in their uh, – I guess they play Vanderbilt to wrap up the season next week, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of their rivalry game. Does he do enough? <laughs> sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Does he do enough on a team that's not going to play for an SEC championship to qualify and and perhaps win the Heisman Trophy? I think he's going to get a lot of votes. I think, uh, can you vote Stroud? I'm sorry, can you vote Bryce Young? No. C.J. Stroud's going to get a lot of votes. Probably Mm going to come down, probably going to come down to those two as I see it right now. Okay, let's hit the break. Chalk Talk with Chuck and Ellis coming up in a moment. Time to welcome in our two Cowboys of football here on Sports Talk. It is time for Chalk Talk with Chuck Reedy and Ellis Johnson. Coach Reedy, good evening. How are you? Doing doing great, Phil. It's great to have you with us. You got a little cowboy in you from your days down there at uh, at Baylor, down in oh, West Texas. Yeah, you probably rode a horse or two back in the day. East Texas. Well, was that East I don't Texas? Know about that, but yes, that oh. wasn't. It's not West Texas. It's Central Texas. But uh, <laughs> you need to get your need to get your geography. West Texas is way out there now. I wasn't way out. That's Texas Tech. But um, uh, but no, I got I got the boots and and the hat and all that good stuff they gave me when I was out there. I never wear them, but I got them. Yep. Coach Johnson, good to have you with us. With us growing up over in the Winsboro, I know you rode a horse or two back in the day, and I think you have some alligator boots, don't you? I, I do, I've never liked boots. Can't stand them. <laughs> I bought some. I wore them two or three times. And they, I mean, I cannot stand them. Can't stand. But, uh, we had a horse growing up. I lived out in the country. We had a horse growing up. Nice. Nice. I don't like horses. A friend of mine, we were kids, had a horse. The horse kicked him in the mouth, knocked out all his teeth. So from that moment on, I said, no, sir. I like my horses under the hood. That's where I like them. Give me 450 under the hood, and I'm good. So um, there was no horsepower in the Gamecock offense Saturday, Chuck, down there at Florida. Coach Satterfield said today they hit. he thought they'd hit rock bottom against Missouri. Then he reframed it to say they hit rock bottom against Florida. So, I mean, just a bad performance. Um what can you put your finger on from what, what you saw there from what they were trying to do? Well, I, I don't know what they're trying to do, Phil. I mean, it's hard to put a finger on it. Um, you know, they couldn't run the ball. And, um, you know, I mean, Rattler, you know, he's, he's an average quarterback. And, you know, they don't have any running backs right now with Lloyd out. 
you know, so there's there's just not much. I mean, uh, you know, they they've got Bell back there at tailback, and I know they they want to get the ball in his hands, but he's not a you know he's not a running back. I mean, the guy needs to be out there, you know, causing matchup problems, but you know that hasn't been the case all year. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I don't know. I mean, you know, they 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 don't block well up front. They don't get any movement. Um, you know, and I've I've listened to you know. There's a lot of excuses. Um, you know, I I think. And again, I don't know Mark Satterfield. I'm sure he's a, a, a heck of a football coach and, mm-hmm. and a great guy. I, I just sense that, you know, they've always tried to be too complicated, always trying to get the perfect uh, personnel grouping, always trying to get the perfect play. Those things don't, you don't, you're never going to have the perfect, uh, any of those. You know, you just need to get your best people on the field and go out and play and, and, you know, give the guys a chance. Don't make it so complicated, you know, and, and, and difficult that, you know, that, that they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, you can hear the players. I mean, it's almost every week they're talking about, you know, there, there's, you know, miscommunication or miss that, you know. That all goes back to just being too complicated, in my opinion. Yeah. Sometimes you wonder if they just should line up in the I formation and just – Toss it left, toss it right, and just tell people hit the person in front of you and see what happens. I can I can assure you that would have been better than what they showed the other day. Mm-hmm. I promise you that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it, it may not sound real fancy, uh, you know, but I can assure you it would have been more effective than than what they put on the field the other day. Yeah. Uh, Ellis, and, the, and play action passes with that. I'm sorry. True. True. Ellis. Um, the Gamecock defense doesn't get a pass. They were atrocious. I mean, they gave up four drives for scores and first four possessions for Florida. Let Florida rush for over 300 yards, almost 300 in the first half. So they didn't come out ready to play. They didn't come out prepared. And what did you see? I saw big gaps in the running game on the defense. They weren't fitting the gaps maybe, or I don't know. They were just getting knocked off the ball. What did you see? Well, the quarter, the teams that have had a decent quarterback running game have heard of and it's, uh, it's four weeks in a row now. And some of them were a little better at running it than others, but Anthony Richardson's pretty dang good at that. The other thing that was disturbing is he had a decent day passing the ball. And he's struggled in that area most of the season. Now, lately, he's been better. But uh, it's four games in a row now that they've allowed the opponent's rush game to be a strong factor. Uh, three of them, it was dominant. Missouri, Bandy, and Florida. If they hadn't gotten the four takeaways on Bandy, that would have been another, you know, disaster, I think. Hmm. And uh, they only got one the other night. Uh, and so some of this stuff is not just defense. When your offense is going out there and they're three and out, three and out, or even worse, and it puts them back on the field when they're struggling and they need some adjustments or you just need a blow and you kind of, you know, catch themselves and figure out what's going on. The first four series is 24 to nothing. And it gets a, a mental thing now. I, I, think, I really think one of the strongest things that Shane's done since he's been here, they've always showed up ready to play. We talked about that last year where they won some games down the stretch against teams that have perennially been better than them, but they were having locker room problems. Carolina hasn't. This was the first time I thought that they didn't respond, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of fight back. And it's just bad. I mean, he had three 100-plus rushers. Uh, the quarterback would have had 100, but he lost something on a sack, which is not running. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it just is hard to find a bright spot. And, and you know, the only thing really up at Vanderbilt, as I, I repeat myself, they got four takeaways, but there was a bit of an issue there, too. All right, Clemson got a win over Louisville. A little bit of a struggle. They didn't actually mash them, even though Louisville lost their quarterback for the second half, Chuck. Looked like Clemson, I think you mentioned this last week, make Uyangale more of a running threat, and that will help their offense, and that's what they looked like they were trying to do, and I imagine they'll continue to try to do that the rest of the uh, this season with the two regular season games and the ACC championship game. Yeah, well, I think they've got to do that. I mean, again, you going back, um, you know, ever since you know uh, Chad Morris came in there, and and basically the off, same offense they've been running most of this time, you know, the quarterback has always been a, a big factor in the running game, and you know, and then the other day, I think they they wanted to kind of get him banged around a little bit and get him into the in, into the game, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, they they've got to do that. You know, they. And and he he played better when he doesn't have pressure. I mean, he can throw the ball. He can throw the ball. He can make great throws. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just when he's pressured. Um, you know, uh, you know he, he's he struggles. And um, you know, the other day, I mean, they started off, and, and Louisville's a team that brings a lot of pressure. But you know, they let him sit back there several times. First, I think it was the first third and long. You know, they rush four. He stands back there, you know, and throws it 20-some yards down the field and got a great throw. But he's just inconsistent in his throwing. Um, you know, my assessment of Clemson is they're, they're, they're a good football team and a really weak conference. And, you know, and, and that's what they are. And, you know, they're, they're up and down. They're, you know, they're good one week. Next week they struggle. Um, you know, they're just not consistent offensively. Uh, on the defensive side, Ellis for Clemson against uh, Louisville. Uh, they knocked out the quarterback. He made a – I mean, I give a guy credit for trying to make a play, but when you're already playing with a damaged hand and you're trying to run through an entire defense at the end of the half, uh, not very smart. And he took a hard hit, hurt his shoulder. He was done, had to go with the backup. So, I mean, they they cleaned up their, their business there. But um, what did you see defensively? Obviously, Carter had a big day for him. Uh, they got some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, did you see overall improvement in their defense compared to what they showed against Notre Dame? Yes. Now, I don't think Louisville is as good up front as Notre Dame. And that, you know, we'll see how that goes down the line now for the rest of the game. Louisville, last, their last games, they put up 31, 41, 33, 34, 24, 48, 34. They're not a bad offensive football team. And – and against Clemson, they had six punts, two takeaways, four downs, ended on the, you know, either turn it over on downs or the end of the half, end of the game. They kicked one field goal and they scored one touchdown. It wasn't a perfect game, but they were dominant. And it had, had it not been, it would have been a lot different because the offense, again, I thought they, they did the right things they had to do. But I thought the defense showed up and kept control of the game for them. They got pretty good stats when you look at it at the end. But, Phil, you just mentioned they had the long run before the half when they're playing a prevent. Mm-hmm. And it was a stupid play for Louisville. Mm-hmm. Got the quarterback hurt, and they didn't even take a shot to score. And then the last play of the game, the last drive of the game, there was a pass for 31 yards. You take all that out, and it was pretty impressive. Yeah. 
Chalk Talk here tonight on Sports Talk, catching up with Chuck Reedy and also Ellis Johnson. And Coach Reedy, I want to circle back to your comments earlier about uh, South Carolina's offense. And from a fan's perspective, it just seems like, all right, why not try Luke Doty or somebody else in at quarterback just to see if that may spark the offense a little bit, especially in games like Florida and Georgia and Arkansas, where they, well, maybe Arkansas is probably not the best example, but at least Missouri and, and Florida here recently might spark that offense a little bit. How does that work if you just immediately transition over to a quarterback? And if so, let's assume for a moment they did that. How does that play into the following week or two when your starting quarterback is benched for a backup? Well, I mean, all you got to do is look up the road. I mean, Clemson, you know, Clemson did it twice. Once it worked, once it didn't. Um, you know, um, you know, but they they made it clear that you know DJ was their starting quarterback. You know, I think sometimes it doesn't hurt if the if the starter is you know he's not playing well, um, you know, to shake things up a little bit. And you know, now Doty, just the the times that I've seen him when he has been in there has played pretty darn pretty darn good. I mean, he he's mm-hmm. got you know he's he can make some plays with his feet, you know, much more so I think than Rattler can. <clears throat> and you know, it certainly wouldn't help. It wouldn't hurt to change something now i don't know what the situation is y'all know i I should know this but i don't as to how many games he's played and if if they're trying to hold him to try to get another year out of him i I don't know if that's the case or not yeah he's at four yeah he's at the cut well that 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 may be why they're 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 trying to hold him I, i don't know that but that certainly could be the case well, take that out of the mix for just a moment. Do you think Rattler is the, the problem? Is it the system? I think you touched on that a few minutes ago that maybe it's a little bit too complicated. So if Doty went in there, would that automatically fix the problem that they're having offensively? No, that's not going to fix the problem. Hmm. Um, no. That, that, I mean, and Rattler's not he, – he's not the – you know, he, he's not the problem. Um you know the the the, the only the, the the problem there is that he came in, you know, so hyped up and and all of that and you know and you know he he's he's an average quarterback, um, you know you know in a in a system that you know I don't think you know uh, that I as I said I'm being repetitive I, I just think they're trying to get the perfect play and the perfect matchup every play and you know. And I don't know. I don't know many coaches that are smart enough to do that. But um, the, I, know, I do know this, if, and Phil has said it earlier. If you just go out and give your guys a couple plays that they know how to execute, you know, and let them play, you, you got a chance to, to have some su- success. Yeah. It is Ellis Johnson, Chuck Reedy, Chalk Talk with us here on Sports Talk. So I'll, I'll ask both of you this question, Ellis. I'll start with you because you've both been head coaches and you deal with starters and lineups and things like that. So, I mean, people ask us all the time, like Chris just pointed out, you know, why is Luke Doty not playing? Why is this guy not playing? Why is this guy not playing? Um, why is the carry on Joyner not playing? I mean, Ellis, have you ever started somebody over somebody else who in your mind was not the better player? My point is coaches play the players who they see in practice, who they think are going to win the game, right? You don't, not play a guy who's better than somebody that you're playing ahead of him unless you're punishing him for some reason. Am I correct? Well, I agree with that, Matt, but I think it's based on two things. 
you know, you want to see the consistency and the, and the trust in practice. But one of the mistakes coaches sometimes make is they, they get stuck on these guys that do things the way they tell them to do it. And, you know, because they do it the way you want it done, you have this confidence in them. But they get on the game field, and they may not have what it takes to get it done in that game. So you always got to evaluate them in a game. And uh, I, I'll go back, and I'm not going to use names. But when I first got to Carolina, there were a couple of guys in my position, and they were NFL-type players. And one of them I had was a, a year behind them. He made tackles. And I kept rotating them, and the guy that was an NFL player came in one day and said, why am I not playing more snaps? Huh. I said, because you ain't making as many tackles as he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that, you know, it comes down to production. But, you know, obviously there's a, an element there when you're coaching a guy for 20 hours on a practice field and have him in a meeting, and he can't respond to you with any kind of common sense, you, you're kind of afraid to put him in a game. Mm-hmm. Chuck, how about you? Yeah, no, well, I, I second all of that. I mean, I, I think every coach wants they want to win the game, and I, I think they're always, you know, you're going to play the best players, and, and you're going to play the guys that you think have give you the best chance to win. Now, um, you know, may not that may not be the guy who's the most talented, as I think Ellis is alluding to, but it's the guy that's going to go out there and give you the best chance to win the football game. What is South Carolina, Chuck? What will be, in your opinion, South Carolina's best chance for beating Tennessee on Saturday night? I, I, I mean. <laughs> Well, the, the only the only chance they might have is if Marshawn Lloyd is back healthy. Um, but you know, I, I don't I don't see any. I just don't see a scenario where they can uh, you know outscore Tennessee. I, I just don't see that from what we've seen in ten ball games so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't know about Lloyd again. I mean, he's been he's got that thigh contusion. It's really been three games. Remember, he got hurt like the very first snap against Missouri, so he's missed like all of Missouri, yep. and then he missed Vanderbilt, and then he yep. missed Florida. So it's three games, and you know, yep. and, and Christian Beal Smith is in the same category. I don't have confidence that either will play. Uh, Ellis, what about defensively now? They're going to be facing a juggernaut and a team that likes to go really fast. What do you think they can do defensively, if anything, to try and slow it down? Well, I don't think the pace will be the problem. Uh, the, the scheme that they run is, you know, sort of what we were doing. It's not hard to get lined up quick. It's not a real complicated scheme. So you're not ch- chasing your tail and trying to make checks and all this stuff on the line of scrimmage. The problem is Tennessee is so balanced, and the only team that has been able to stop them is Georgia because Georgia could match up with them out on the perimeter in the islands, you know, on those one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. And it forced them to have to whip Georgia physically in the box. And they were better than they were there, too. And if they played again, it might not be the case because Tennessee is so good on the perimeter. Some of it's talent, some of it's system, some of it's just execution. But they're so good out there on the, on the perimeter. I don't see how Carolina can match up with them consistently like Georgia did. And even Alabama had problems. And Alabama's problems, they couldn't get lined up quick enough and play sound football. It's too complicated, huh. but well, I, I think I think it's going to be a long night. I mean, I, I don't know what they do. They can get some turnovers off of them. I, I guess take chances because there's no use in not taking chances. 
Well, I mean, if Alabama can't get lined up <laughs> against them, I mean, my God. <laughs> well, it's a more complicated system, I think, yeah. than, than South Carolina. I, I mean, I've seen them all. And these speed-up teams, if you watch, Alabama's had a problem with Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, and, and Tennessee one year, and they've had problems with uh, Tennessee. Teams that can really speed up the tempo give them problems. And it takes away their ability to match up with you one-on-one and just beat you with talent. And I think some of it gets down to whether it's too, too complicated. Y'all been talking about doing too complicated on offense for 30 minutes. Hmm. It can be too complicated. Sometimes you need to line up and let the players play. And, and it may look like the 10th grade, but if you got the best players, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. couple more minutes. So the last rankings finally came out last night when ESPN decided that they'd held it long enough between basketball games to let the college football world know. Doesn't that suck that an organization like that just owns everything? But anyway, you know, Clemson's sitting there at number nine. You got two teams with two losses ahead of them. And, you know, Southern Cal's got to play UCLA and Notre Dame coming up. They've got one loss ahead of them. Uh, Your top four, you know, Michigan State, uh, Michigan and Ohio State, one's going to take a loss. Georgia's probably going to stay undefeated. Uh, uh, TCU, uh, you know, they, they still got Kansas State, I think, you know, again in the championship game out there. Uh, Tennessee's probably going to finish undefeated, you know, win the rest of their games. The question for both of you is, Chuck, I mean, you see any path for Clemson winning out, if they went out impressively, last two games in, in the ACC championship game, sitting there at 12-1, uh, and one, uh, any path for them to get into the top four? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was, I said no last week, but you know, yeah, there is a slight chance, um, you know, but there, there, I think there's a lot of things that have to happen to help them because, you know, I, I think if, if Michigan, the loser of Michigan and Ohio state, if it's a close game, I think both of them would, both of them will be ahead of Clemson. I think. Um, you know, and, and like you said, Georgia is pretty much a lock. Tennessee is, is, is going to be ahead of Clemson. Um, you know, you got TCU. I think TCU also goes to Baylor. I think Mm -hmm. that that's not a gimme, even though Baylor played terrible last week. Um, they got to go out way out there in West Texas to Baylor. Yeah, they got to go west there in West Texas. They ought to just drive about an hour and a half down the road, you know, in, in Central Texas. But they may go play them out in West Texas. I don't know. But um, but I, I, the other thing that that I tell you what, Clemson better not underestimate University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can score a lot of points, and 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 you know their defense has gotten better. Um, you know, they're, they're playing pretty darn good. You know, they had a, a close game. They've had some close games, but they've managed to win kind of like Clemson. Mm-hmm. Ellis, uh, what do you think about Clemson getting in the top four? Any chance? Almost everything Chuck said, it's going to be difficult. I mean, there's going to have to be a lot of things happen to get them up that far. And, uh, I, you know, if you look at it this week, it's most interesting thing is they pushed LSU up there where they got a shot. And I, it's, it's three more weeks of people playing each other. I agree with Chuck on one other thing. Ohio State, Michigan, they play a, a really tough ball game and it goes into overtime or it's a one-score game. I don't think the, the other team that doesn't get to go to championship games is going to fall out. And if the other one wins the championship game, I think it's going to be against Illinois. But if they went out, I think those two are in. If TCU doesn't get beat the rest of the time, how do you drop them down? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how Tennessee slips in there unless somebody helps them. Georgia, I don't think they're going to lose again. I think they'll beat LSU. But the most interesting thing would be if LSU beats Georgia in a close game or an overtime, they're going to try to push both of them up there. And then you got Ohio State and Michigan. We just talked about that scenario. What if that happens? Mm-hmm. They have a tough game, and the one that wins it wins the championship in the championship game. TCU wins out, and Southern Cal wins out. Okay, pick the four. <laughs> it's going to be an absolute mess. But now, a lot of things can happen since then, because it's going to be two or three weeks. But that would be an absolute – I'd love to watch it, because y'all know I'm not a playoff guy. Yeah. And I'd love to watch and try to pick those four. Yep. Yeah, what they'll say is, well, you know, in a couple of years we'll be at twelve, so this we won't have this problem except trying to pick number twelve ahead of number thirteen, whatever yep. the case may be. Gentlemen, okay. it's a pleasure, Chuck. Enjoy it. Uh, your weekend. We'll talk to you guys next Wednesday, same time, heading into the holiday weekend. We thank you, uh, Ellis. I got a pair of boots for you that I had ordered, so they're armadillo. They're armadillo. So I hope you enjoy them. And uh, we'll talk to you only wear ostrich. Only wear ostrich. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great weekend. I know we were running short on time, Phil, but I would have been really curious if Ellis Johnson were preparing a defense for Tennessee's offense in the up-tempo style. Do you play with, like, two offenses? As soon as the passes or the run is complete, do you run that second off? That second offense is already lined up, and you have to make sure your starting defense gets out there. You play with two footballs. I mean, how do you try and prepare for a tempo like Tennessee that you don't see all year long? Well, I think the central thought from both men on South Carolina: kiss it, keep it simple, yep. stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, that's what they said. They got to simplify. Quick note here on Clemson. Mason Trotter is retiring from football. A lineman, been sidelined for undisclosed reasons since the start of the year, was expected to return later in the year. Dabo Sweeney said that uh, a back injury surfaced for Trotter in September, had to have surgery on it, so not going to play again. Be back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, we're back with you. It's a Wednesday night edition of Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. Enjoyed having Chuck Reedy Ellis Johnson with us as always. They chop it up well. That, who came up with the phrase chop it up? That's been something I've heard from the the recruits when they talk about coaches. Yeah, we talked 15, 20 minutes. We just chopped it up a little bit. That probably goes back to the days when you actually had a, you had videotape and you actually cut the videotape to put together a highlight reel. Hmm. So you literally, you and I both know this. Pat, Pat has no clue that there was a point in time where you actually had to cut with a razor blade mm-hmm. uh, audio off of. Uh, <laughs> I remember off of that. The bigger reel to reels. Yeah. Oh yeah. You actually cut the tape and yes, use this you little, did. This, mm-hmm. this particular brand of tape, and you tape the two ends together mm-hmm. to cut something out. You want to cut out 
some profanity or a stumble or something <laughs> like that. You had to, and you had your little grease pen and you marked yes, it sir. here, you marked it there, you cut the, the tape and tape on the floor. I doubt that's what the kids of today are referring to though when they say chop it up. I don't think they have but, a clue. But your point about uh, how did that start, that's my guess. And I am so grateful I know how to do that stuff and even more grateful that I don't have to ever do that again. Absolutely. Thank you, Adobe Audition. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, we got some recruiting coming up for you in a little bit. Going to try and get in some comments from Jamie Chadwell about Virginia. Right now, though, it is time for another edition of Morgan on the Move. Boy, the guy is everywhere. Morgan on the Move, brought to you by Played Against Sports in Columbia. Chris Mosley, the folks over there have you well covered for all your sporting goods needs. They buy, sell, quality used and new sports and fitness gear all day, every day. So check them out. Their unmatched Harbison location outside Columbia, 1270 Bauer Parkway. Mike Morgan joining us. He was down in Mobile, Alabama last night. Alabama, South Alabama. Kind of left you there after a little while. You know, there was some other things going on. How'd that game end up? Uh, Alabama eventually kind of imposed its will on uh, on South Alabama. You know, it's my first look at Alabama. I had Kentucky last week, kind of my making my rounds uh, around the Southeastern Conference, and it, clearly to me, you know, teams like Kentucky, Alabama, uh, Arkansas, and Tennessee it seem to be, you know, just a a bit ahead of the rest, and that might change. You know, we might, we always have a team or two that are off the radar at the beginning of the year, and then they come through and surprise everybody. But Alabama's got a really talented freshman. The Miller kid is a, a kind of a six-nine two-guard that's very smooth in his game. Um, so yeah, that's how it ended up. I, I think Nate Oates has got one of his better teams, and as we all know, he's had a number of them since his time yeah so uh sec basketball something that of course you keep a close watch on and uh, kentucky losing last night of course you know it's it's november and was, i think it was an overtime game kentucky and michigan state two power teams i mean kentucky would be fine uh they got the great big man and they got their their talented players all around so um no surprise that they would lose that game no surprise if they had won that game what about what you've seen early on from the rest of the league i imagine the slow start by vanderbilt it's a little puzzling because they were kind of projected to kind of be in the middle of the pack if not higher going into this season they gave uh, stackhouse a new contract i think going into the season yeah i don't know what to expect from vanderbilt to be honest with you uh you know jerry has has had a uh kind of a Tough, tough start to the uh, the era there, and then you lose Scotty Pippen Jr., who was kind of their all everything score slash point guard last year. So uh, I'm not sure what to expect there. To be honest with you, I, I think I think there's just so many teams in that upper half that would have higher expectations coming in. All right, to uh, the football side of things as we uh, head down the home stretch here. Got kind of one of those weekends around the SEC, ACC, not a whole lot of big games. So South Carolina, Tennessee, of course, on ESPN's uh, primary channel with their number one broadcast group. Uh, I mean, do these people like to see um, car wrecks and uh, 
you know, plane crashes and things like that? Is that why they are coming to Columbia to televise this Tennessee-South Carolina game? In other words, it, it could be very ugly from a television standpoint, unless they think the Gamecocks can muster an effort enough to, to force Tennessee into a tight ball game. Well, uh, I mean, heck, I, I've got Alabama this weekend. Uh, did, did you see the opponent there? That 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 game could be a massacre in the in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, not that I'm complaining because it's it's always fun to do a game in Tuscaloosa and sit down uh, with my old uh, chum, uh, Nick Saban. Um, hmm. Actually, I haven't had I haven't had a chance to do that in a few years. So I, I do like I do like Nick, and he's actually great to deal with on a one-on-one basis. I know that surprises a lot of people, but um, there, there's not a, gr- a lot of great games, as we know, uh, this week. I think CBS has the – which one did they pick? Oh, uh, jeez. I, I just forgot now. But They've they, got, I the, think, Georgia-Kentucky. Are they doing Georgia-Kentucky? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. So, so Georgia-Kentucky was supposed to be the showcase game. Yeah. I mean, I just had Georgia last week. In fact, I'm still defrosting from Starkville. Mm. Um, and, and and having having Georgia in person and and seeing them, uh, you know, up close, they're just a different level. I mean, they're they're absolutely just a different level. You saw what they did to Tennessee, and so and Kentucky clearly has been a disappointment. I, I said way back when they don't have an offensive line, uh, and that has really that's been a problem throughout this season. So they can't block Georgia. Uh, that, 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 to me, is going to be the story of that game. Georgia's front line. By the way, Jalen Carter, my goodness. Um, I, I know everybody is infatuated with Will Anderson of Alabama, and he should be, but the, the best defensive player in the country might be number 88 for Georgia on that defensive line. He's unblockable. Yeah. Uh, he's absolutely unblockable. Um, anyway, uh yeah, so I mean, if, when your best game, I'm guessing Georgia is probably, I don't know, 17 point favorite. That that kind of speaks volumes as to the kind of week we're looking at. I was down in Gainesville for the South Carolina Florida game, and you talk about defensive linemen. You know, Florida's got this 415, 20 pound guy named Watson, uh, who's a Florida kid. Have you heard about him? Have you noticed him? I've seen him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's humongous. Oh. He, He's, he's not the uh, quickest guy, but he's quick enough. Well, but what he did against South Carolina was rip the ball away from from Bell, Jaheim Bell, on a run up the middle and yeah. tackled him and ripped the ball away and started running, you know, towards the goal line. And yeah. Rattler knocked him down and thought he had produced a, a fumble, but he was he was down by contact. But this guy, I mean, you you take another – you take about 50 pounds off of him, he's still 360 <laughs> pounds – but think about how much quicker he would be and stronger. I mean, this guy's got a chance to be a menace in the next couple of years. Well, he could. I mean, there's been some guys, you know, I go all the way back to Jerry Ball. There's a name for you from the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Gusa. Uh, you know, there, there's been some guys in the NFL that have carried kind of that 350 range. 400's just too much. He'll, he'll get eaten alive at the next level at that weight, but, you know, maybe he can drop the pounds. But, like, we all could probably drop a few pounds. Yes, we could. <laughs> Mike Morgan, Morgan on the Actually, I saw you tonight. on television last night, Mike, and, uh, you know, well, you know what they say about the, what the camera does to you. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> I sure want to follow that now, Phil. Thank you. <laughs> 
Mike, I, I, there's no easy way to, to get into this situation, but I wanted to get your take on what's going on with Virginia and the uh, shooting over, uh, you know, three football players on Sunday. How does that program move forward from a scenario like this? I, I wish I had an answer to that. I can only tell you that I called the Virginia-Miami game a few weeks ago. I was in Charlottesville. I called a few of those players in action, and I, I – I know that doesn't change the uh, the magnitude of, of the event, but it, it really hit home for me just because, uh, it, it. I mean, I, it's just surreal to one day you're calling, you know, one of those young men made a few big catches in that game, uh, six foot seven wide out, and, and next thing you know, he's been murdered. I, I just, mm-hmm. when I saw that news, I called my, my analyst and, and producer, and I was like, did you see what just happened? And, of course, we were all just shocked beyond uh, beyond belief. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was glad to see they canceled the game. I can't even imagine trying to play a football game on Saturday. Now, what they do against Virginia Tech, that's that's an in-house decision, and, and that's who should make it. But, uh, no, I, it's just it's unspeakable. There is another interesting story, uh, totally uh, 180 degrees from the tragedy of Virginia, but earlier tonight, Pittsburgh and Michigan actually playing in basketball, and their players, uh, several of them, at least a couple of them, had the letter S on their hands, and that's according to the player, stands for share. Are we getting to a point, and this was to pro- uh, at least promote uh, revenue sharing in, in college athletics. Uh-oh. Now that we've got name, image, and likeness Uh-oh. taken care of, Mike, do we? is that our next step Uh-oh. to becoming basically professional athletes at the collegiate level? Mm. Are we going to have revenue sharing in your mind? Mm. Mm. I, I don't. I, first, I've heard of it. I'm sure that uh, I'll, I'll see that. I mean, within a, in this era of NIL, I, I've got no like sympathy for anybody or anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these kids are doing very well. I'm happy for them. Um, so you know, it it doesn't take much to just put a put a uh, you know a symbol or a hashtag together these days. Uh, but uh, you know, it, is it the last we'll see of it? Probably not. But I I think right now. What college athletics is really trying to do is to have some type of order to the NIL. Not restrict it necessarily, but just have it organized. Because you talk to any coach in any sport, and I have talked to several in the last 12 months, and it is a mess. It is an absolute mess because they basically said, fine, we can't do anything with it. It's your problem. You deal with it. And that's the kind of legislation we're working with right now. Well, I, I tell you, I'm embarrassed for him when I see athletics directors and now coaches cutting videos on Twitter asking the fans to give money to the NIL so they can funnel it to the players. I mean, do they know any shame anymore for what they're trying to do? This is not what NIL was supposed to be about. It was supposed to be about the voluntary giving of money by businesses – uh, and, and setting up job opportunities for players to make money. Uh, now you've got ADs, coaches, going on Twitter, asking their fan base, asking their fans to pony up money so it can go you know, directly to the players. And this is going to be the war cry now. we got to have this to compete. 
It used to be we needed an athletic dormitory. Then it became we got to have an indoor practice facility. Then it was we got to have a bitter, a bigger video board in the stadium. We got to have all these things to compete. Now we got to have your money to give to them to be able to buy them to come to our school. That's the that is the basic message that we're getting here. It's absolutely the message. Um, and the fact of the matter is, if you don't do it, your competitors will. Yes. And so, uh, you know, it, it is not unlike if you were to compare it to a professional sport, you wouldn't compare it to football, right? You wouldn't compare it to the NFL that has a salary cap. You'd compare it to baseball. And and there are the Yankees and Red Sox and Dodgers, uh, and then there are the Pirates and the Rays, uh, and the Marlins, like it, and and then there's a lot of schools in between, but you know, it's just, that that's where we are. And now some, like I get the argument that it's always been that way, right? Like the, the rich are just getting richer. What else is new? I Hmm. I understand that argument. doesn't mean it's a good thing. Um, it it doesn't mean that that's, that's what, (laughs) what we really want, but uh, look for some, all they care about is, how do you generate more dollars for the athletes? And uh, clearly that is, that is going on at the same time. Coaches know they have to be able to compete in that universe and they don't have time to question, is this right? Or is it good for the sport? All they know is if I'm going to get enough players to win games, I got to go ahead and get more money in the coffers. Exactly. Mike, we appreciate as always. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Mike. All right. Take care. Thank you you very much. A visit with Mike Morgan here on Sports Talk. Morgan on the move on Wednesday nights, most Wednesday nights, sometimes on Thursday nights, sometimes not at all. But most of the time he's there when we ask him to be there, and we appreciate it very much. Okay. We will, uh, and Mike does look good on television. I was just kidding about the double chin. Oh, he looks great. About the double chin and all that. I didn't notice a double chin or anything like that (laughs) developing. No. Look at the pocket squares. Very nice pocket squares. Yes. All right. uh, Recruiting and some Jamie Chadwell coming up after the break and then SC Wild. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, healthcare, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. Your home is where your memories live. It's where you laugh and where you love. We understand the importance of the valuables under your roof, tangible and intangible alike. So no matter what's around the corner, we'll be there, offering you and your family the support that's made Farm Bureau Insurance a trusted name for nearly 70 years. You deserve more. You deserve a promise. Learn more at scfbins.com. Call me, Alex Satterfield, at 803 749-9171 for all of your Midlands insurance needs. In Columbia, South Carolina, game days are our specialty. Whether you're watching the game from inside the stadium or from the big screen at your favorite local spot, the energy remains the same. Craft the perfect fall Saturday in a city where there is plenty of action on and off the field. 
from tubing and kayaking to Soda City to rooftop restaurants and plenty barbecue. We're ready when you are. Plan your weekend at experiencecolumbiasc.com. Hi, this is Major Billy Downer with DNR. And coming up tonight at 7.30, another edition of SC Wild on the Sports Talk Radio Network. When your team calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games set from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. South Carolina's taste buds have spoken, and they're asking for beef. There are more than 7,800 farms raising cattle from pasture to plate in the Palmetto State. So whether it's steaks on the grill before the big game, sirloin medallions played it for date night, or burgers with a family, make sure beef is a part of your playbook this football season. Smoke, grilled, and slow roasted. Find the best way to enjoy your beef at seccattle.org. Beef. It's what's for dinner in South Carolina. Funded by the South Carolina Beef Council, part of the Beef Checkoff Program. All right, going to get right into the recruiting brought to you by Seawells. Get out there tomorrow for the daily luncheon buffet, 11 to 2. Delicious. And the best in the recruiting uh, world for uh, recruiting you for your catering needs. That's what they do at Seawells. They'll recruit you for your catering needs. <laughs> so let them handle your catering needs, and you can recruit them, and they'll recruit you. 803-771-7385, SeawellsCateringSC.com. USC is looking at junior quarterback Brenton Tolls, 6'1", 180, Brandon Wine, Maryland, dual-threat quarterback. Marcus Satterfield saw him in camp in 21 had him in for a visit for the Texas A&M game this season. Loved the visit. Uh, been talking to him. Been talking to Satterfield. They've been talking to him. And uh, they haven't offered yet, but they are interested. They like how he can run the ball. They like how he throws it out quickly. Comes out of his hand quickly. So he's a good uh, good prospect at, uh, at quarterback in 24. Of course, they have a commitment in the 24 class for quarterback. But I guess you can never have enough. He has uh, Maryland, Virginia Tech, uh, Marshall, Towson, Bethune-Cookman for offers. He's going to go to Maryland for their game this weekend. This season, he passed for 1,988 yards, 23 touchdowns. Clemson target, 24. DJ Lagway, Willis, Texas, announcing December 7th. He was at Clemson for Syracuse. He has Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, Texas A&M, Baylor, Southern Cal, Georgia, Florida, and Oklahoma on his short list as well with Clemson. Safety Khalil Barnes is down to Clemson, Notre Dame, Oklahoma. He's announcing December 16th. He'll visit Clemson officially 
next weekend. USC's in the top 10 with 24 corner. Braden Lee of Springdale, Maryland with Georgia, Penn State, Ohio State, Tennessee, North Carolina, Pitt, Maryland, Notre Dame, and Alabama. USC target running back Robert Henry of Jones College, Mississippi, said his commitment announcement for December 17th, the weekend he visits USC. 25 offensive tackle Mason Short of Evans, Georgia, plans to be at Clemson Saturday. 25 cornerback Christian Henderson of Greenville plans to be at USC. Receiver Edwin Joseph of Hollywood, Florida, will take his official visit to USC this weekend. 24 athlete Braylon Staley of Aiken was offered by Miami and James Madison. Basketball one-time USC commitment guard Bryce Lindsey signed with Texas A&M. That's recruiting. Here's a few comments, a few minutes with Jamie Chadwell today talking about the word from Virginia, no football game this weekend in the wake of the tragedy. Yeah, just let us uh, let me say from uh, from our, our team, our staff, our program, uh, we're 100% behind uh, University of Virginia and support this decision uh, for them and their program. Um, we continue to pray for for their community, for their for the university, uh, specifically for the victims, the victims' families, Coach Elliott, staff, and the players uh, of this is the challenging and difficult time that they're going through and. Um, we play a we play a, a great game, but it is a game. And uh, the thing about sports that uh, people love is it, it does bring people together. Uh, and we're all behind them um, and and what they're going through and, and the tragedy they're facing. And that uh, we'll continue to uplift them, uh, not only this week but uh, for a while, because it's going to be a, it's going to be a long time before they can start the healing process. Um, but we're 100 supportive of their decision to uh, you know not play the game and. and uh, um, we'll continue to uplift them during this time frame. Uh, Coach, your conversation with uh, Coach Scott, kind of how that went down in terms of um, you know what you guys talked about and, and kind of your uh, support that you gave to him. Say that question again to who? Just the support you gave to Coach uh, Virginia. And, Coach Elliott? Yeah, Coach okay. Elliott. Sorry, I said to Jeff Scott. Yeah. Coach Elliott, that you talked to him a little bit about um, – yeah, just uh, just reach out and let him know we were praying for him uh, and and just the the guidance that he needs during this time frame. Uh, this is uh, from a from a coaching standpoint. This is probably unprecedented as far as things that you have to deal with from a coach. And uh, just let him know that uh, um, how much we're behind him and praying for him just for for his leadership during this time frame because I know it's got to be challenging for him. And um, just let you know that people are praying for him because he he's leading young men through something that um, nobody wants to lead them through. And, and he's, he's, he's got to do a, and he will do a fantastic job because I know who he is. He's a, he's a great man of faith and I know he's relying on that. Um, but it's a challenging time for him. We want to know he's behind him and supporting him. Okay. Some comments from Jamie Chadwell. All of his words are on our website, sportstalksc.com. If you want to hear everything that the coach had to say, uh, you were in on that, Chris, anything else? Of significance about how they're going to handle the rest of this week? No, not at all. Other than them, they were, I think they had to take off. So none of the uh, players were available and they're going to have a day or so off over the weekend. But for the most part, they are uh, trying to support Virginia as best they can. Okay. Well, you enjoy the rest of your evening. We've got SC Wild coming up after the break, starring the major Billy Downer with a special guest back after the break. <laughs> 
Now on Sports Talk, it's SC Wild with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer is here to take your questions about the great outdoors in South Carolina. Give him a call at 888-898-2525. It's SE Wild from DNR on the Sports Talk Radio Network. All right, great Wednesday night here on Sports Talk. Getting a little cooler outside. Well, the other day it was really cold. Nice day today, though. A little cool. Folks getting outside. The hunters in our uh, in our world getting outdoors to take care of business this time of the year. Uh, fishermen doing the same thing, I guess. Great time to get outside and drop a line for a certain type of uh, fish. Here I am killing time until we have the major Billy Downer. I mean, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot over the years of doing this show with the major, but I don't know enough to carry it. That's why we welcome in from DNR, the major, Billy Downer to Sports Talk and SC Wild. Good evening, major. How are you? Thank you, Phil. You're doing a nice job segueing into the show. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> I give you credit. After five years, you've learned one thing or two, maybe. One thing. The one thing is to make way for you. That's the one thing I've learned. And also, I've learned to stay away from alligators. So those are two things I've That's learned. Exactly. Alligators and sharks. Alligators and thing. sharks. You got that right. You got your special guest. We got him. We got her standing by for you. I do. We've got uh, Molly Neese coming with us tonight, going to be on the show. She is the statewide waterfowl projects leader for DNR, kind of a new position we've put back in place, and glad to have her on. If we've got her on, I just uh, welcome on Molly. Thank you for joining us tonight. All right. Um, Thanks, Billy. Glad glad to be on. Sure. So just want to talk tonight, Phil. We're going to talk about our migratory waterfowl season because that is fixing to kick off this Saturday. Um, so everybody looks for duck season. You know, the seasons always change. We just had our youth day last Saturday, and our duck season will open up uh, November the 19th and run through November 26th, the standard, what we always have called the Thanksgiving season, for a week there. And then it'll open back up December 12th and run through January 31st with the new options we've been given through uh, – the Flyway Council, we can go all the way through the end of January now, so happy to see that this year. Uh, our duck limits this year, uh, not much different than they always typically are. It is still a six total bag limit per day per person, uh, which can include no more than three wood ducks, no more than two of the following. Here's a little difference here, two mallards still, and no more than one of those can be a hen, which is a female two redheads or two scop and two canvasbacks. Now, the scop is two all the way through December the 22nd and then becomes one the 23rd through the 31st, 23rd of, of December fall to the end of the season. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. But again, uh, one your limit of one is your pintails. Your fullest whistling duck, which few see, but they do have, we do have them. Black-bellied whistling ducks, we do have on the coast a good many uh, in some spots, particularly in the lower part of the state in Jasper, Buford County. Um, and our black ducks and model ducks have, have been in the name, the same change uh, that they've been for several years now. If you are east of 95, most people know where 95 is, mm. it's one black or one model duck per day. Hmm. If you're west of 95, you can shoot two black ducks. Or, or one black duck and one model duck. Um, 
the difference on the eastern part is we're trying to protect our model ducks. You're not going to see a model duck typically in interior of the state. They are a coastal bird, and because they are so close, and in fact, most people can't identify the difference between a model duck and a black duck, particularly on the wing, uh, we are limiting it to one of those type ducks east of 95 because it's just so hard to tell the difference right. between the two. I have, I have a question. Of course you do. I have a question. Let's say you're standing on the east side of I-95. That's where your your boots are. You're over there. But the duck is on the west side, on the other side. Don't do that, Phil. Stop that, Phil. Stop being silly. No, seriously. Nobody's going to be shooting. Nobody's going to be shooting across 95. Okay. However, <laughs> let me say this. All right. There is actually a place where you could potentially be hunting like that, and that would be on Lake Marion. Mm. Because ninety five does cross Lake Marion now. Okay, so there you go. If you are east of ninety five, the limit is one and one. If you are west of ninety five, you can shoot two. So where you take the birds is important. So if the birds are west, yes, you can shoot two. Okay. The birds are east, one, because we would use the same the same law we would use or same uh, method for someone trying to shoot a bird over on someone else's land if you fall that bird falls over there and you don't go retrieve that bird and you shot a bird you know you can't retrieve that's called wanton waste and that's mm-hmm. actually against the law it keeps people from doing that mm-hmm. or it is supposed to discourage that so Milo, let me bring you in for a minute talk about our model ducks for minimum coast um we've done some more i know we're continuing to do our our uh, model duck uh Banding, preseason banding. Where are we on that right now as far as our model duck population? Yeah, you know, we band a, a fair number of model ducks every year. We're targeting those bandings um, in the summer, usually in July and August when those birds are flightless. They're regrowing their, their, their wing feathers during that time of the year. So we uh, like to sneak up on them in the airboat and scoop them up at night. Mm-hmm. And um, we band uh, a couple hundred of model ducks, a couple hundred model ducks that way every year on the coast. But, um, you know, we're probably settled in right now with about 20 to 21,000 model ducks is kind of a rough population estimate that we have in coastal South Carolina, which is pretty impressive considering that those birds were released here in the late 70s and early 80s, and we just released over 1,200 of those birds um, during that time period. So, you know, these model ducks have done really, really well in South Carolina. You know, they're a species that hunters really, really value or quite the prize and are one that's really special to me. I spent about five years of my uh, professional career just studying model ducks, so it's uh, it's exciting to see them continue to flourish here in, in coastal South Carolina. And I know our, our hunters really value those birds as well. So, so really done well since since the late seventies and early eighties here. Well, great, that's, that, and that's great information. I know. Uh, just a few years back, we kind of realized how big our model duck population was, and so I know it's a surprise to a lot of folks. I say a few years ago now, it's probably been 10 years ago, when we just realized how many we had um, and how well they had done. Um, So as part of your job and your new job description, you have been at Samworth for a number of years and been battling there with all the storms and things we have that wash out our dikes, but particularly in our coastal areas where we're managing for wearing waterfowl, it's a process that I think few people have an appreciation for the amount of work that you and others on our coastal um, WMAs, the work that you do, 
talk a little bit, uh, Molly, let's just talk a little bit about what it takes to manage those coastal impoundments. Um, that we're not necessarily planting in corn, but we're, we're managing water levels to grow certain types of vegetation. That's right. So, yeah, so real unique systems. Like I say, it, it's always a challenge anywhere where you are constantly um, managing moving water. You know, water, water is a is a is a really powerful force, and and it you know it's constantly working against you, especially when you've got big water control structures and big earthen dikes and things where we used to hold water out of impounded systems. And so, uh, you know, we do take a lot of storm damage. You know, we've been on a, a pretty good run here for for five or six years of of hurricanes and natural disaster events that have, you know, caused us some breaches and some challenges, but uh, got excellent staff on the coast that have really developed and, and further, you know, further honed the skill set for quickly repairing breaches and major issues. And like I said, you know, in those systems, we are managing for natural vegetation, which has a lot of advantages. Um, you know, one is, you know, in a moist soil setting where we're growing you know, native annual grasses that are big seed producers, you know, those are environments where we can go in and manipulate. Uh, we can mow, we can burn, unlike you can do in a, in a planted um, ag crop scenario. You know, we can't we can't manipulate those settings where we created a, a faded field. But really cool thing about our coastal systems is they're they're really resilient. Um, places like Fair Island, Fancy Coastal Reserve, you know, those private plantations in the Delta and the Ace Basin, you know, they're managing for dwarf spike rush and widgeon grass, which are more aquatic type plants. And so when we do have natural disaster events and damage to um, these coastal impoundments during the summer and the late fall, you know, the vegetation that grows in there is much more resilient. You don't have to worry so much about it being knocked down or or, um, or degrading to a point that it's, it's no longer a good food source for waterfowl in the winter. So um, really, really valuable stuff. You know, high seed producers, um, good for invertebrates, which which uh, ducks also love. And so, um, really good work we do on our coast. And and you know, these uh, these natural crops really really serve a lot of functions for us and keep birds uh, fed and happy throughout the winter, so we can send them back north in the spring to to the nest and and hopefully come back our way with a uh, larger fall fall flight. So, well, that's good. So Molly, tell me something. So a lot of our Coastal impoundments were traditionally old rice fields, correct? Correct. All right. So, is there for the folks that don't understand that? Is there any rice left in these fields? Hmm. It's uh, it's not. You know, we you do get some some what people call a southern wild rice. You know, kind of in some tidal settings, but we don't really see that in our impoundments anymore. Um, you know, we kind of lost. Uh, the, the function of planting rice in these impoundments in the early 1900s with largely from, you know, salt input from big hurricanes. Our fields became much too salty and to uh, really support rice. And then places where we might still be able to, you know, if you've been on one of our lottery hunts or, or hunted another uh, another another property in the, in the area nearby, you know, you know how fluffy and how salt those fields really are. So it really takes specialized equipment to do any kind of mechanized type planting um, and you know, for the for the for the time and the input it would take to really aerially broadcast or seed anything in that type type mechanism, you know, the the seed that we produce, the invertebrates we produce, you know, managing for what's already naturally in that system, um, is much more efficient, efficient, cost effective, and really, you know, we're producing more more feed, more duck energy days, as a, a duck scientist likes to call it, than really what we could do in a in more of an agriculture placed. Uh, 
type setting as if we were, were to grow, grow rice or another type of a millet or, or something like that that's really, really suited for a, a soft organic environment like you see there on the coast. So, um, so you know, our natives are really, really beneficial for us in a number of ways. So, Right. Uh, and I appreciate you. Uh, that's why I wanted to mention that. I knew you, you did an excellent job describing it. A lot of folks hear rice fields and still think we have rice in them. I know there's some wild rice, but typically we're managing for widgeon grass um, and the other things, door spike rush, things like that, right, that, that, that birds yep, use, as you said, naturally. That's correct. That's correct. So, so, yeah, I'm when we, so right now, just let's give a little update. Right now, what are our coastal impoundments looking like as far as birds? I've heard we've got some birds in. I don't, you know, do we have any preliminary um, info on that? What's here? You know, I um, I was I was on a on a property, a state property yesterday, up off of Lake Moultrie. That's really uh, it's a plant and flood area, but it's really picking up good numbers of of, of gadwall here over the past couple of days. So that's really encouraging. Yeah, I'm on the coast. So is that and, Sandy? Um, is that Sandy Beach? Yeah, Sandy Beach is, is really looking good. Staff's been working really hard there the past couple of years. We've had a couple of contract projects, which have really allowed us to take our management to to the next level. And um, like I say, really, really encouraged and excited about what uh, what staff has done there. And I think I think we're really seeing you know a step forward in management and things there. I really think our bird numbers and habitat have improved drastically over the past couple of years on that property. I think we'll continue to do so. So. Um, cool. Like so that. back home, where on the coast, where you're predominantly at, um, uh, uh, blue wing teal, things like that, moved in now. Yeah, blue wing teal. I've I've heard managers talk about uh, an uptick in in the past uh, the past week or so. But um, blue wings are, are are nice and thick. You know, our green wing numbers are starting to tick up as well as well as the gadwall, and so. You know, it's a it's a good time of year to be on the coast and um and to watch birds move in the evening. I know there was a lot of happy youth hunters um around CNT Coastal Reserve this weekend and uh good reports of of birds moving around in the area and so I hope we're setting up for a really, really good season and uh, was watching watching the weather reports this morning. Looks like this this big cold front uh hopefully will push some more birds to us. Um, I know the Northeast is supposed to get some snow, and it's it's getting pretty pretty chilly around the Great Lakes and then in, in the Mid Continent um, right now. So hopefully that'll that'll do well to push more birds our way too. Yeah, and I, I don't know how we count ducks on the coast. Sometimes you got to swat out the uh, notion. I mean, not the notions. Those aren't the problem. It's the daggum mosquitoes and yellow flies <laughs> that sometimes to me get confused with ducks because they're so stinking <laughs> right. big down there. I do not know how our staff handles it. I, I have heard stories, uh, Phil, just to tell you how bad mosquitoes are, mm-hmm. that back in the day, um, Jamie Mills used to work, one of our officers, I know you know Molly, I know you know Jamie, or heard, heard Jamie, used to work at Murphy Island and said when they used to drop him off, he'd drive a tractor bush hogging all day long, and he'd have to stop to rake off the mosquitoes off the radiator because the radiator was getting hot because of the number of mosquitoes in the screen. So, oh, man, our people really do a good job in some really harsh conditions um, in the summertime. And I've been there in December on a youth hunt before at at the uh, Santee Coastal. And if it gets warm, mosquitoes just pop back out. and They will literally carry you off. 
Um, I'm surprised that any ducks have any blood left when any mosquitoes are out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm glad to hear about the um, our numbers, like gabwall pintail. I know pintail's a big attention getter for folks that may be listening to hear pintail numbers up. That's always a great thing. Gabwall to me are just a great big duck uh, that mixes in there. Is, is you know great decoying ducks like a mallard, and I enjoy hunting those as much as any of them. Um, it's good to hear that. So. As progression on our coastal areas, you know, I know for years you had uh, Bear Island, Springfield was one of the bigger areas. And when I do the numbers, it seems like Molly, that birds are moving back up uh, in Santee Coastal, really becoming a big area again. Yeah, you know. From a management standpoint, just really, really honing in the management there. You know, I, I would I would hope so, but uh, you know, I, I really think it's just um, it's just you know, sometimes I like to say ducks do duck things. You know, it's kind of hard. As much as we study them, the more that we know, the less that we know, and and uh, you know, it seems that uh, it seems that, that you know things have kind of been trending down in the ace over the past couple of years. But you know, I hope the ace has a really good year, and I'm not sure. It's certainly maybe attributed to uh, the management on those places. You know, our property, Santee. Um, Fair Island, you know, state properties in the ACE, you know, our management has really been top notch over the past couple of years and, you know, a lot of well managed private properties in that area as well. And um, just doesn't seem to be to have quite as strong numbers as you know, the past couple of years as they traditionally have. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's management related. It's just, you know, I think sometimes those ducks just, just know where they want to be and hold tight. So, but uh, hopefully, um, hopefully the upper coast will share the love with the, with the, the low country a little bit more this coming season. Sure, and I, I guess what I'm pointing out is, you know, I know that um, Springfield, for instance, had some breaches from the hurricanes, like we said, all the yeah. challenges that we've had. And those are, I know those really, I think people have no idea how challenging that can be when salt water just flows into a, a unit like that and how it just burns the soil, basically, and, and kills your plants back uh, when you yeah, can't yeah, control the amount of salinity. Yeah, too much salt will certainly make things challenging for us. And it's, it's, uh, we get too much salinity in, you know, in the soils in a, in a managed wetland. You know, it's, a, it's a correctable problem, but sometimes it takes some time to, uh, to get back where we want it to flush that salt back out the system. So, but, um, I'm feeling pretty good about, about Bear Island this year. Uh, it'll be a fun one to watch. You know, good, good wedging grass and spike brush in those systems, a good bull rush, you know, even our, our more soil and our more kind of fresh freshwater areas um, are really looking good and, and good crops of, of peanut grass and smart weeds. And so pretty excited to see what comes along. You know, those, those natural disaster events, they're not, they're not things that we can often come back from overnight. You're right, Billy. It, it does take from a habitat management perspective. You know, you may be able to fix the breach or, or the trunk issue in, in a number of days or weeks, but uh, sometimes when that salt water gets in, it takes a little bit longer to recover the system than, than it does the infrastructure issues. So. Well, I think it's worth mentioning, and people don't realize how many times we've had breaches in certain impoundments. And I know you've been directly rela- dealing with some of that, but just a breach happens, and then as soon as we have another storm, another breach happens. Or even if we don't have a storm and you have a king tide, all of a sudden, because it's new ground and the soil really hasn't had on that dike a chance to settle you know breach comes again and our staff is just basically throwing their hands up going what do we do now because every time they turn around a breach happens and i don't think that the public understands the amount of work 
that our folks, and I, I agree with you, our folks do so much hard work. We, uh, we were crunching some numbers a while back, and, and if you took all of our perimeter uh, dive system and our tidal impoundments, um, it's about 150 miles. You can stretch it from, from, from one end from Charleston to, uh, to Columbia. And, um, wow. That's a, that's a lot of ground to cover. A lot of ground to cover. 150 so, miles of dikes that we manage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so pretty pretty significant. Number. So, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of work in-house ourselves. Um, we definitely cover what we can ourselves. And, but, uh, you know, we have a lot of good partnerships with, with contractors and Ducks Unlimited, too. And, you know, it's a, it's a full-time job. For a lot of staff keeping these places up and running and you know their goal is to their goal is they're, they're constantly focused on the winter everything they do is, is thinking about managing for winter so um it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun for us to get to this time of year and and you know enjoy enjoy your hard work just to sit back and watch birds come in the impoundments and, and see hunters come come out with uh with birds in their hand it's a it's definitely uh definitely worth the wait and it's a it's a great reward for staff sure so in terms of internal uh, managing our inland impoundments. When I say inland, I mean more inland from the coast and our coastal impoundments. What are the different challenges on inland impoundments um, that we face? That we are we, we have to you know to to make good management there. Yeah, you know I think I think our inland challenges are are much like our private landowners face that manage inland properties. You know. Um, sometimes, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with, with flooding issues, even on our inland sites, you know, it may be large runoff events from, from the hills that'll flood out a, a corn crop, or, you know, we deal with, um, depredation issues, the same as private landowners, you know, we take a ton of, of corn moss every year from, from hogs and deer and raccoons, and so, uh, you know, we do our best to mitigate those with, with fencing situations, and, and cannons and things like that as well. But, uh, you know, those inland areas are also unique and come with their own set of challenges, you know, a different set of challenges than what we experience on the coast. But uh, with all waterfowl management, if you if you can't manage your water levels, you're not managing habitat. And so uh, often our water level challenges come at a, a little different time of year. It tends to be a little more spring-oriented in our upland sites um, as opposed to the coast. But, uh, you know, mostly just all keeping the water where we want it when we want it. Right, right. So I, so again, again, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight, so we could kind of highlight uh, our waterfowl preparations. I think, like I said, I just, I really want folks to hear the amount of work that goes into that. 150 miles of dikes hmm. on the coast is incredible. When you think about that amount of management, that's got to be you know, continually managed, continually cut, uh, cleaned, make sure you know. You don't have trash and things that come through there. We also have, and and I know you could speak to this, is we're still using the old trunk system because it's still one of the best systems to manage water levels. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. You know, still, a, you know, a, a historic system, you know, it works, works based off the tide and, and water pressures. It's a gravity-fed system to where we can set gates to, to, uh, to pretty much, you know, open a, a pipe a hollow opening through a through a dike um, on high tide, we can push water in. And then when when high tide falls out, you decrease your water pressure on on your tidal side of the dike. Your inside dike closes, or your inside gate closes, and the water pressure inside the impoundment, you know, closes that gate and holds the water inside the impoundment. Um, much like you see on kind of upland upland systems, we also got a flashboard riser system built into that that helps us regulate and keep water levels consistent inside the impoundment. So. 
um, really, really neat, really neat um, water control structures, you know, things that, that we're proud of because of the historical aspects and they work so well for us. And um, there's only a handful of people that know how to build those structures and, and uh, number a uh, number of private plantations build those structures themselves and uh, we build we build our own trunks, a number of our own trunks on our properties ourselves. And so um, definitely a, a unique piece of history to be able to use and, and operate those those, uh, those water control structures and, and build them ourselves. So. Well, cool. Well, Molly, I know we're, we're short on time, but thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate you giving us a highlight on our waterfowl management and what our season's going to look like. Phil, we appreciate your time and I'm going to show too. Major, great Absolutely. job. Molly, thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Learned a lot. SC Wild from DNR here on Sports Talk. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.